Well, good morning, church. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, grab them and go to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. Um, as you're turning there, uh, just one announcement real quick. Uh, we have a new addition to the 1122 family. Would you please welcome to the world, Blakely Stone. That's Pastor Ryan Stone's wife, Blair Stone, and uh, Blakely was born on Wednesday, and she is 8 pounds, 13 ounces. And I know, doesn't it? That's a little Ryan right there. It's all cheeks and hair and love. That's all it is. That's what Ryan's made of, too. All right. Um, aren't you glad the only time in your life they announce your weight is at your birth? Can you imagine? Hi, I'm Joey Martin, 211. I mean, that'd be weird. But anyway, uh, uh, just be praying for them. Everything's great and healthy and all is well. The mom and the fam are back home, and uh, this is their second child. And I just need you to know how blessed and favored of God we are that we have the stones as a part of our family. Pastor Ryan is one of the most brilliant leaders I've ever known in church world. He loves Jesus. He's one of my best friends forever. I consider it um, God's grace upon me that I get to be a co-laborer in the gospel with that dude. And then his wife is a key, key player in our new gen area. So if you've ever checked in somebody up to like uh, kindergarten, then she had everything to do with make that, making that happen. And so uh, they'll be about out for a few weeks, you know, about all that. They just went from the zone defense to the man-to-man. So uh, be in prayer for them about that. Also, in your seat backs, if you'll reach out in front of you, we've got these Lent things. It's not a wine list. It is a little deal about Lent and how we celebrate Lent here. At the church of 1122, Lent is just this preparation for Resurrection Sunday. And so we've called our church for 40 days of, of uh, three things. We're going to pray. And so on Tuesday from 12 to 1, we have a prayer meeting right here in this room. We'd like to invite anybody that can be here to be here from 12 to 1 to pray or any portion of that hour. We've called our church for 40 days of fasting. So on Tuesdays from sunup to sundown, if you're medically able, we'd like for you to fast. And then also, we're calling our church the 40 days of giving to, to just test God with the tithe for this 40 days, which, by the way, our, um, our giving kiosk in the lobby and in the back are not operable today for some reason. So I assure you that is not a sign from the Lord that you're like, well, because the Lord doesn't want me to give today. He really does. And where he would like for you to give, if you typically use the kiosk, is in the Connect Centers. We have some computers there, and you can make that all happen there. I think that's all the announcements. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, and it's kind of long, so you're going to have to stand up for a little while. Here we go. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kind of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Let me read that again for the vegetarians and the pita people. The Bible says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up. At once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. 
And Peter went down to the men and he said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. And the next day he rose and he went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and he found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone other, uh, any other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying at my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before the Lord. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. And you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here to hear in the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. May God add blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Amen. You may be seated. Verse, uh, verse 28b. And God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. When I came across that verse, I knew that we, what we were going to talk about this morning was racial reconciliation. Because just as a confession, I've told you guys before, I'm the chief sinner in the room. <clears throat> and so just as confession, I grew up in a, in a town and in a part of the country in small town South Carolina and was just raised in an environment. My culture, uh, we called people common and unclean. The N-word was just a regular part of my vocabulary, our vocabulary growing up with everybody I knew. And then I met Jesus and realized that that Jesus died on the cross for all people. And now I pastor a church, and the church of 1122 is for all people to deepen and discover a relationship with Jesus. And I know that Jacksonville has a rough history, and this is not something, especially in, I mean, in Jacksonville, this is not just something in the past. This is something that's going on right now. And you read the book of Revelation chapter 7, and it talks about that men and women will be gathered at the throne of Jesus from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And I look around our church, and we're getting better, but we got a long way to go. And so today, we're going to talk about racial reconciliation, because God has done a redeeming work in me, and I would like for this church to be a redeeming agent in this community. It hit me like a ton of bricks two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I'm giving JP a ride to school, my my first grade son, and he's always got questions in the morning. And he says to me, he says, uh, well, in my family, we, we, don't really, um, we don't really categorize people by color. JP would be watching TV and be like, Daddy, look at that, look at that brown guy, or look at that, you know, whatever color he comes up with, we just go with that. And, um, and so JP says the other day, he says, Daddy, if Martin Luther King Jr. had not come, would I be able to be friends with Johnny? And I Honestly, I don't even know what race Johnny is because I asked JP what color Johnny is, and he said he's kind of a light beige. So that, there's a lot, right? I think that's all of us, by the way. I think we're all just kind of in somewhere in that range. Uh, 
And so, uh, what, what was a generational sin in, in where I'm from, it, it ends, it, I don't know if I can stamp out racism in this world, but I can stamp it out in my house, and then we can, we can uh, preach the gospel in our church. And so, what we are going to do um, today, I brought in the big guns, um, and so this is our, actually our very first guest preacher at the Church of 1122. His name is Dr. Van Gaten. He is the high school principal at Providence High School. He holds a Master's of Theology from International Seminary, a Master of Divinity from Logos Bible College, a Doctorate of Bible Philosophy from Christian Leadership University, a Doctorate of Theology from Faith Theological Seminary, and is presently a doctrinal candidate at Reformed Theological Seminary. This man has more degrees than Fahrenheit. Um, (laughs) He's pastored for over 25 years. He's been a seminary professor for several years. Dr. Gaten has traveled around the world speaking at leadership seminars for clergy and has lectured at several universities and churches for Black History Month. He's on the board of directors for the Institute of Religion and Public Policy in Washington, D.C., a think tank that was nominated in 2007 for the Nobel Peace Prize. Dr. Gaten has most recently lectured at Harvard Divinity School and traveled to Turkey with a Muslim delegation to participate in a dialogue for understanding between the Muslim and Christian religions. He's been married to his high school sweetheart, Ellen, for 42 years. She's sitting on the front row. He has a daughter, Tabitha, who's sitting somewhere over there, and she is single. And, uh, and he has a granddaughter named Jasmine. Would you please stand to your feet and give an 1122 kind of welcome to Dr. Van Gaten. Praise God. Thank you, my brother from another mother. (laughs) Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom now and forevermore. Amen. So, Father, these are your people. I am your servant. This is your word. And I pray today that you will give me the tongue of the learned, that I might speak a word in season to him or to her who is weary. Let your word disturb every heart that is too comfortable. Let it comfort every heart that is disturbed. Let it bring edification to your people and glory to your holy name. I pray this today in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Those of that you are standing, that is. Amen. Well, it's a great honor to be here today to share the word of God. And I want to thank the set man of this house, Joby, and Mrs. Joby, for uh, allowing me to be here today. I'm setting my timer so that I won't preach the everlasting gospel. And, uh, <clears throat> but it's a pleasure to be here and to see all of your great faces. Uh, I want to give a shout out to all the Providence students. Where are you at? All right, all right, all right. So it's good, good to see all them here. And uh, as Joby said, my wife of 42 years, we met as juniors in high school and got married first semester of college, and, and uh, thank God I got saved before she left me, um, three years after we got saved. So I'd like my wife to stand, Ellen, this is my, my Sherry Amour. And my daughter, Joby mentioned her, she's here, she's PhD, she's fine, she's single, I'm taking resumes. I'm taking resumes at, uh, amen, so she'll hate me for that, but that's the way life goes. Um, the text that we're looking at today uh, is very interesting. The 
the Acts chapter 10, that pericope from 9 to 33. Uh, there's a couple things I want to say about the text. Number one, I appreciate that the Holy Spirit, when we address his word, he has a way of vicariously causing us to enter into the text so that whatever was the benefit of the text on the day that it was actually taking place, that we can share in that benefit in the 21st century because it is the eternal word of God. And so whatever anointing, whatever deliverance flowed the day that it took place can still flow today. Secondly, uh, we believe in the euangelion theu, the gospel of God. And that gospel power is still prevalent today. But note that the word of God, the reason it is so important to us, is because each verse in the Bible addresses a fallen human condition. We are fallen creatures. And each verse, each pericope in Scripture is, is touched by the Holy Spirit to deliver us, to heal us to save us, to comfort us uh, from whatever malady we might be facing. So today, it's important that we see it as being supernatural, supernatural. And so as we look at this text, there are, as we talk about uh, racism, and the theme that Joby picked out, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And I'm so glad that the gospel is true because uh, had, had Joby and I met before, uh, my face wouldn't look like this right now because I think he's pretty strong. So, but we would have been at it <laughs> for sure. And, and that's the glory of God's gospel is that he brings people together. His work is radical. Now, the central thesis of this text today is that note that the Holy Spirit set this whole thing up. It's called divine serendipity, that it's not orchestrated by Peter nor Cornelius, but the main person in the text is the Holy Spirit. So from the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out, and the Holy Spirit is dealing with Peter at Joppa, and he's dealing with Cornelius, and he makes the two of them come together. He leads them together. He speaks to both parties that you two need to meet. Now note who's meeting, a Jew and a Gentile, and they don't like each other. That's not the way. Now, the Gentile, Cornelius, uh, had become a God-fearing. He was a proselyte. He was, he was Gentile, but he favored Yahweh, that his, his salvation. But to hang out with each other and for Peter? Well, let's, let's look at William Barclay, a, a historian, uh, says that, you know, at the first advent of Jesus the Messiah, the world's greatest malady was called the sin of contempt. The sin of contempt, which is the world when Jesus was born was filled with racism. So even though America has been through its history and still going through it, we're not the first people on the planet. We're not the only people on the planet to have this problem. This is universal. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, I'm a black preacher. You can talk back to me, all right? So I don't mind. I don't mind. So come on, help me here. And if you preach, I'll get out of here too. So, uh, so, so. So note, note the, the Zitzenleben, the situation in life, is that when Jesus was born, they, the angel said, Joy to the world, for the Lord has come. But look at the world that he was born into. The Romans didn't like the Jews. 
and the Greeks didn't like the Romans, and, and the Jews didn't like the Greeks or the Romans, and, 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 and none of them liked each other. And then it went further than that. Even amongst the Jews, people of the same nationality, the Jews in the north didn't like the Jews in the south, and the Jews of the south didn't like the Jews in the north, and the Jews in the north and south didn't like the folks in the middle who were called Samaritans. Imagine if you're walking with Jesus and... Uh, you know, you don't like the Samaritans. They're dogs. They're useless. And Jesus says to the disciples, we got to go to Jerusalem, but I must needs go through Samaria. Like, no, dog, we don't roll like that. We don't, we don't roll like that. Don't you know who them folks are? We, you know, they did a drive-by last week, and I still haven't recovered. We're not going that way. So this is the world that, the, that they're born into. Now, in the United States of America, we have this dilemma, and now... Uh, in our nation, everybody's afraid to talk about it. Uh, you know, it's politically, everybody uses the phrase racism. It, anything you say, oh, you're racist. Like, oh, oh, you're racist. So nobody, so even if you were racist, it's used so much commonly now that it denotes nothing anymore. Or how can we have a real dialogue to try to heal this rift? And another central thesis that I have today is that only the church has the message of reconciliation. Only the church has the love of God. Only the church has the anointing of the one who created us all that if we use the dialogue of the gospel, that it, will, it is the power of God. And if we know the gospel story and tell that story as it relates to racism, then people sitting at the table have the dialogue Everyone will be saved, delivered, and healed, and restored, and the two become one. That, that, that's the only way. So, I believe that your pastor, Joby, and this congregation, that want, want to come to the place that in the city of Jacksonville, uh, that we can come to that place. Now, some people say, well, is it still uh, around today? Well, I was invited to preach at a church in Stark a few years ago. I've lived in Jacksonville 10 years. And uh, you saw my wife, so you know I'm, I live in controversy, so I don't mind. I don't mind. I was born for this. And uh, so the pastor in Stark said, uh, Dr. Gayton, uh, one request. Uh, as you're pulling into Stark, please call me so we can escort you in. I'm like, what? what, 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 what? Escort me in? And uh, I found out that uh, this, this pastor who is white, um, his wife, uh, in their church, they have blacks and whites in Stark. And the pastor's wife's father has a Bible study that they call the Redneck Bible Study. And he has not spoken to her in years. When he found out that her husband allowed black people to come through the door, he disowned his daughter. I mean, he's, he's through with her. So it is a problem that is relevant today. As well, now, the Bible says in the last days, nation will rise against nation. You go around the world today, and you'll see the word nation comes from the Greek word ethne, and ethnic, and et, one ethnic, we have genocide taking place all over the globe. So this is a universal problem, but there is a universal solution to the problem, and it is the gospel. And notice again in this text that this whole story is set up by the Holy Ghost. So today, we want to vicariously enter into this text that as we walk through it, may God do his work in every one of our lives. He knows where every one of us in this room is. And so by the end of this sermon, I expect that some of you will have let God work on you so you can be the Peter 
that you can be the one who reaches across town or across your desk or across the neighborhood to someone to bring the blessing of God to someone that without Christ you would have never even spoken to that person. But there's another group of people that there also are people in here that need to be like Cornelius, that you are the person that you'll say, Lord, Whoever you want to use to bless me, I will not discriminate. If it's Peter or somebody of another nationality, if the blessing you have for me is with that person, then may they lay their hands on me. Why would we deny ourselves the grace of God? And obviously, the Lord doesn't like the situation of racism and discrimination because he set this whole thing up. Peter did not want to go. He got to the door of the house and he says, You know, Cornelius, you know, by normal practice... Us Jews have nothing to do with you folks. That's a good way to begin a sermon. You knock on my door and start a conversation with like, I'm going to bust you dead upside your head. All right? Uh, There's just no way you get away with that. But while Peter is talking, beginning his talking about, you know, God made me do this, the text goes on to say, and the Holy Ghost fell on him. So Peter couldn't even get through his message, and the Holy Ghost fell on him. He goes, oh, I perceive God is no respecter of persons. I mean, that's how God works in spite of us while he's delivering us. Can I get an amen? amen? Thank you. All right. So, so what is the good news for racism? There's got to be good news. And there is. Now, the gospel story is just that. It's a story. It's his story. It's what the Germans call Heilgeschichte or salvation history. It's the story of God and what he's doing in the earth. And it's the greatest story ever told. Ever told. I call it, my, my, the sermon that I use a lot is called The Glory is in the Story. The glory. Now, all of us like movies. We've been built by God where we like to go to the movies, play DVDs. But how many of you like to see a movie start in the middle? No. Okay, good. No one here needs to do that. That's, there's a beginning for you. And what's important is that Paul, in the book of Romans, says, I, Paul, an apostle, am set apart. I'm set apart for what? For the gospel of God. And I serve him in the preaching of the gospel. So as Ben this morning was talking about worship, one of the ways we worship God is by sharing truth with other people. Sharing the gospel, the good news. So whatever the dilemma. And isn't it interesting to know that we are so shy of this subject of racism that we can preach against adultery, fornication, drunkenness, pride, But how many sermons do you hear people talking about racism? You need to repent and get to the altar. We don't bring that up. It's like we just kind of, but the text is replete from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to find that it's all up in that. And, you know, that's where we need to be, all up in that, because that's God's word. So the gospel story begins, uh, which is the power of God, uh, as we look at the socioeconomic record of Scripture. That the first act of worship for God, to, for us to give God in, in form of preaching, is to start, begin the story in the beginning. That's where we should begin. So, number one, where does it begin? Number one, in Genesis. The book of Genesis is the beginning of God's story. In fact, if we can discredit the first verse, the rest of the book is useless. So we have in church history higher criticism 
people trying to discredit the word of God that the first five books weren't written by Moses and we have this documentary hypothesis that tries to discredit the whole book by liberal theology, just trying to destroy that. But the word of God is the word of God. And creation is the first thing revealed to us in the word of God. And it's very important because God gives us our sense of uh, meaning. He gives us a sense of where did we come from? That's the philosophical question I want to raise here is that when we talk about creation, how did we get here? That's the first question. How did we get here? And uh, the Bible says very clearly that in the beginning, or Bereshit, Elohim, bara the Shahamin in the Haretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he made everything, the Bible goes on to say, and that he made Adam and Eve. So from the Bible, we are told that in the beginning, God made everything. That there is a transcendent causal agent whose name is God, the uncreated creator, the unmoved mover. And this God, this God made everything, and everything is under his control. Even the laws of nature are made by God. Francis Schaeffer used to talk about the laws of nature and nature's God. So our origin, so the first thing we want to address this morning is that according to the creation story, the good news is you didn't come from a monkey. That's, that's good news. Uh, 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 that we are the imaho day. We're made in the image and the likeness of God. And that our whole source of dignity in life is that we are God images. We are God images. So when we look around this room, everybody is here because God, our creator, made us. And so it's not about how smart you are, how good looking, uh, whether you can dribble a basketball or how much money you make. It's the fact that every human being is made in the image and likeness of God, therefore is to be treated with great respect. Call no man common or unclean. Who do you think you are? Huh? That, that's the reality. That, that all of us, we are, hear this, a God idea. We're a God idea. I walk into every place, and, you know, I'm a minority a lot of places I go. I'm at Providence. I'm the only black teacher there. I'm, I'm the principal, and most of the students there are white, and we love each other. And so I don't walk in the building going, oh, my goodness, I'm just inferior to all these people here. Uh, I'm not suffering from that. <laughs> now, most of us are the Lord, and the rest of us just sheer arrogance. Um, which the Lord, I mean, you know, I'm a sinner. I, I, I need deliverance still. And, uh, but the point is, I have confidence. But when I see people in the building, my first thought is, made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. Therefore, worthy of respect and honor and dignity. Can I get an amen? Life is a lot easier when you see it from God's perspective. Even our sense of morals come from God, uh, or in our meaning in life. What's the meaning? What is the meaning? Our sense of raison d'etre, our reason for living. Why, why am I here? Well, our creator has endowed us with gifts and talents that when we're walking in relationship with him, then he gives us our cultural mandate. How are you supposed to take dominion and replenish the earth? And when you're connected to God as you should be, then the unfolding of life uh, becomes a joyful occasion. I mean, the celebration of a new day and new challenges come from almighty god in acts 17 and 26 he says there that out of one blood made he all nations out of one blood made he all ethnicity the creator god if you believe the biblical text he says out of one blood adam he made all 
ethnicities. And we'll talk about that point a little further. So, so it was all good. It was all good. Everything was great in life. And the creation story is wonderful. And you know when you're watching TV, story may start out real nice. But you know something got to go wrong. You watch that sort of stuff. I mean, they're making Google eyes at each other. And, you know, he's singing Stevie Wonder's My Sherry Amore to her. And, but you know something's going to go wrong. You know something's about it. And in the, in the gospel story, something went wrong. And what went wrong is called the fall. So creation is the first, first drama, act of God's divine drama. The second is called the fall, which answers the question, what, what, what went wrong? What is wrong on planet Earth? And the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 makes it very clearly that Adam sinned against God. Adam and Eve in the garden sinned against God. And uh, as a result of that, we have been born. We are living in a fallen world. All of a sudden, the theological term total depravity comes into the picture. Total depravity means totally, you know, depraved. The the Latin word for depravity is broken up into two parts. Day, meaning very, pravros, cooking. That now, ever since Adam fell, and we're living in a fallen world, and everybody's born into this world very crooked. And the only thing that'll straighten any of us out is the gospel. Amen. So, so, So we're all very crooked. So it should not surprise us the way we act. It should not, we shouldn't watch the news and go, oh my goodness, what is wrong with those people? Duh. Why are you all up in the Kool-Aid and you don't know the flavor? Come on here. Come on, come on, come on. They're very crooked. They can live in Jack's Golf and Country Club and be crooked, or they can be in the hood and crooked, but we're all crooked apart from him. So the common plight of humanity is that when we look at each other now and look around, then we are all, what has gone wrong is that we all have fallen. We are living in a fallen world now. Now, it's also clear that life is paradoxical because Hebrews 6 and 5 says, we have tasted of the powers of the age to come. So when Jesus came, the, the, the power of the age to come broke in on the present age that is the evil one, and we are living in the overlap of two ages, the present evil age and the power of the age to come was released on Pentecost Day. So we're living in the conflict of the ages. This is where we are. And if we're going to cope, we got to accept that premise. We're living in the conflict of the ages, or as Charles Dickens in his book, The Tale of Two Cities, begins, it's the best of times and the worst of times. So even for the believer, we can be in here and all buddy-buddy and chummy-chummy, and we can go outside the door and something tragic takes place because we're st- we are living in a fallen world. But we have hope. We have good news for a fallen world. Can you say amen? We have good news for a fallen world. And that's important. So Peter living in a fallen world amongst fallen Jews, he says, uh, you know, nothing unclean common has ever gone into my mouth. But the Lord was already setting the brother up because, you know, he was in the house of Simon the Tanner. The Tanner, whoa, messing with dead skins of animals? That's unclean to a Jew, but God's already working in his life so that by the time he comes to Cornelius, and then later on he's going to run into a group of guys, and they're like, what, you were eating with Gentiles? Are you crazy? See, God was dealing with this thing. And so it's not new to us. It's important that when we look into a text, we open our eyes and allow the Spirit of God to let us see what was really going on. Now, total depravity, when it comes to racism, there's a term for it. It's called ethnocentrism. 
ethno, ethnic, centered. Your, your ethnic center. You believe your ethnicity is the center of the world, that you are above everybody else. So that's a sin of ethnocentrism. Uh, you know, we have, uh, we have different groups that are, are, are all believe that. Amongst all ethnicities, you have a group of people within that ethnicity that think their group is the group. And that is the sin because God says, no, you're all equal. Even at the Tower of Babel, the Lord changed their language. Common people changed their language, couldn't communicate. So today, we, that's part of the fallenness. That was the judgment of God. You go around the world, as I have, you can't communicate with everybody. You cannot communicate. And, and that's part of the division that has taken place. But I also want you to know that when Noah built the ark, the Bible says he and his three sons and their wives were the only people after the flood. Now, Noah came from Adam. So, the question is, in Scripture, God's dealing with this thing, um, how, how, when we look around the world today, and we see all the different kinds of people, there was Noah and his three sons, and I'm sure they all looked alike. I'm sure they were all of the same ethnicity. So how in the world did we get to where we are today? Well, one of the ways we got there is there's a term called microevolution. Microevolution is what Genesis tells us God said. He made everything after its kind. Everything. So trees, birds, animals, when they reproduce, it's another tree. I was once debating a, a, uh, a professor on radio about the abortion issue. So we were in Buffalo, we were live on radio, and we we're going back and forth. And this, this uh, farmer called in, because Buffalo, there's a lot of farming area around there. And uh, this farmer called in, and uh, he said, uh, he said I'm going to say it like he said it. He said, uh, Dr. Gayton, pleased to make your acquaintance. But that other feller there, I won't talk to you, feller. You listen to me, feller? Now, you don't think there's a baby in the woman's womb. You're not sure what it is. What do you think? You think when she's pregnant, maybe it's a woodchuck? Do you think there's a woodchuck up in there? Or what? I mean, come on. It's a baby is a baby. And when a woman's pregnant, it ain't a woodchuck. It's going to be a baby. Dr. Gayton, does that make sense to you? I said, I could not have said it more eloquently. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. You're, you're, you're the man. Should have had you on the show. <laughs> so... So microevolution means that God caused diversity within humanity. Just like there's diversity of trees and flowers and birds and cats and dogs, human beings. God made us diverse. Do you know that uh, my biology teacher is not here today, but the, the lady who teaches biology at Providence is a national merit scholar, Air Force Academy uh, just at the top of her class. So I sat in on her class the every, other day. I didn't understand half the things she said, but I sat in there, and one thing I did hear her say, I heard that, it was the idea that uh, we are, by DNA, we are over 99% the same. 99%. And look at the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. Okay, good, good. So we're all 99% the same, right? So there's a chemical under all of our skin called malonym, malonym. And the activity of malonym is different in different ethnicities. God idea. So what happens is you may be a light shade of beige, huh? Uh, or, 
or any shade, but it's about the melanin and what, who decided how much activity of melanin there be in each ethnic group? God did. It's a God idea. He created the melanin. He decided, I want you this color, you this color. Because, so here's the point. One of the things I tell people all, all over the world and at different universities and churches when I lecture, I tell them, uh, they say, well, I don't see any color. I go, I do. I know a red person when I see one. I know a yellow. I know a Latino. I know a black. I know a white. I, I can see that because the difference in color is a God idea. He likes diversity. God likes diversity. Nobody gets up every day and puts on the same color. And thing. You don't go to a restaurant. And go, you go to different restaurants because they have different kinds of foods because we like diversity in our food. And you don't eat hamburger every day. I mean, uh, now, when I grew up, we were in the ghetto. We was on government cheese. And uh, y'all mean I like the government, but the government took care of me. I, I, my mother used the same government meat. And she mixed it. In five days, I thought I had different meat every day. That cheese was so hard. You'd have to get up on your knees to try to put that knife through the cheese. I don't know how I got off on that, but. Oh, well. Anyhow, I don't eat government cheese anymore. So we like variety. We like variety. We like variety. But notice to be, the Bible says that we should be like our God. Let's be like him. Well, how is God? Well, in theology proper, the highest theological studies in the world is the study of God himself. This is the study of God himself. We should understand God. And the God we serve is a triune God. In Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Israel, this was their confession of faith. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, for the Lord our God, he is the only one. So we know we serve one God, but we are, we are a Trinitarian monotheism. We, are, we believe one God, three persons, three persons in one, distinct but inseparable, that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that the Father is not the Son or the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not the Father or the Son, and the Son is not the Father or the Holy Ghost. But in the Father dwelleth the Son and the Holy Ghost. In the Son dwelleth the Father and the Holy Ghost. And in the Holy Ghost dwelleth the Father and the Son. And these three are one. So we celebrate that. So to walk with God, you got to realize that there's a, there's a distinct but inseparable so that's the way he made us. We have distinction, but we are inseparable in the sight of God. We celebrate our distinction. I like it when I travel to other pe- places in the world and people look different. I was in, a, I was in a, a Quito, is that Tabitha? Quito? Quito, Ecuador. My daughter and I went there and I was in a detox clinic down there because my immune system was collapsing, collapsing. And so while we're in Quito, Ecuador, Ecuador um, I was a giant. Everybody was like this. I was just like... I was a giant among men for the first time in my life. Praise God. Uh, But, you know, there was something beautiful about that place. We found a restaurant. Oh, man, if I could drive there on Friday to this restaurant, that's where I would eat. It was just a great restaurant. But the variety is in the world, and God wants us to celebrate that. It's a God idea that we don't all look the same. Distinct, but inseparable. 99.9% the same, and the devil makes us think about that 1%. That's his work, because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he wants to take a God idea and pervert it. It's called racism. It's called discrimination. It's called prejudice. Instead of it being to the glory of God that we look at each other and look up at God and say, how great you are. 
That's what we should be doing. That's what the good news does. It, it takes all this diversity, and we don't walk into people that look different from us, and then we're lost because they all look different. We go, listen, we're 99 the same. I need a sandwich just like you need a sandwich. Come on. I just don't want Burger King. That's all. I, I grew up in the ghetto. I don't want anything that looks like it. I want good stuff now. All right? So, so we recognize this microevolution that that's a God idea. And in the Old Testament, we see that right out from the beginning, God had what are called miscegenous relationships. Oh, my goodness. David, the Jew, the Shem, born from Shem, marries a girl who is from Ham. So Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And all Caucasians and, and people come from Japheth. And then uh, the, the, inner, uh, the uh, Arabians and everything else come through uh, uh, Shem, which is the Jewish race as well. And then Ham, that's where my folks come from, Africa. We're, from, we're Hamitic people. But in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, you will see that there were interracial marriages, ethnicities, all through the line. And in the lineage of Jesus we find out that there were literally four uh, uh, Hamitic women that he was married to. So when, when people say, you know, Jesus was a pure Jew, well, 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 he, he had a mixture in his lineage, which shows that God is with all people. And he did it on purpose so no one could think more highly of themselves than they ought to. It's really important for us to do this. So uh, let me come to another point here because we're talking about the fallenness. Now let's be clear. The real enemy behind all of this is not your neighbor. It's the devil. I just want to put him on notice. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. So when you hear a voice saying, I'm better than so-and-so, and those people are no good, that's the devil talking to you. That's not the God of Scripture. That's not God. That is the devil, and we should have no communion with the devil. Thank you, thank you. I was about to say, I can't get no help up in here. All right. So I used to preach in a prison where they cussed me out and booed me and everything. So I'm used to it. It's all right. But that shouldn't happen here. All right. Okay. Here we go. So I, I think of American history. So, so I watched Roots the other day and got myself all stirred up. Because <laughs> I'm Kinte Kunte. And uh, I drove through the Mississippi Delta one year after moving down here. And I drove through the Delta, and I cried like a baby, thinking of the history of my own people. And, and Joey, one of the reasons that I've really gone after education the way I have is because at one time, my people were not allowed to read in this country. And so for my ancestors' sake, I, I've tried to become everything that I could be so that all my ancestors who could not be proud of me when I get through the gates of heaven. That means a lot to me. So... So segregation, integration in our history. I've studied the history. I'm writing a, I'm doing my, my dissertation right now. It's called uh, The Good News for Racism, a, a, a Dialogue That Makes a Difference. And the seminary that I work with, they've told me that if I finish it, uh, they'd like to turn it into a textbook. So when I get it published, uh, I'll tell you all about it. Right, dear, you're going to help me finish that? Okay, thank you. All right. She does all the grammar and stuff and cracks the whip. Anyhow. Uh, Civil War, the Civil War, um, that issue. Remember, the northern Jews didn't like the southern Jews. And, and I'm from the north, so I've been called a Yankee so many times since I got down here. It's ridiculous. Uh, 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 you know, it, but we got this problem. There's a wedge even in our nation, north against the south. And, you know, and there's Christians in both places. God wants to heal that. But I, I thought of before I came to the Lord, I didn't get saved until I was 21 years old. I was raised in church. 
But uh, I remember when I went off to college, they were having a lottery for Vietnam. I thought, mm-mm, not going. Now, why? Because I knew enough about history to say that my people in America came over on the auction block, slaves, through the Middle Passage. Every time I would go across to Europe, into Africa, I had to go over the Atlantic Ocean. And at some point of that trip, my tears would come to my eyes to this day. And I think of the millions of Africans who were dumped into the Atlantic Ocean during the Middle Passage as they brought them over here to be slaves. I cannot walk cross over the Atlantic and not think about that. Jews are very clear. They keep telling their story about the Holocaust to say never again. Never again. Well, I'm telling the story and I say never again. Never, never again on this earth should we allow to any people such a thing. Any people. Never again. And especially in the body of Christ, when racism rises up, a church that is black, white, Latino, Asian ought to stand up and say, hey, Don't do that. Don't do that. That does not please God. And we should come to the defense of the oppressed. Oppressed, whoever they are. If it's an injustice, if it's an oppression, the church needs to stand up as the gospel witness. We do not condone that. We do not, no matter who the people are. So as a result of uh, fighting in the Civil War, 200,000 blacks were killed there, and, and I mean 400,000 whites in this war, south and north, and, and the, the animosity, the Hatfields and McCoys, all that tension that exists between us. And then, you know, World War I, World War II, and I tell people, listen, when my, when my people, uh, ethnic group, uh, came back from all those wars, giving their lives right up to Vietnam, they still couldn't uh, go into certain restaurants, couldn't drink out of certain fountains, uh, couldn't live in certain neighborhoods after serving their nation, which means that by the t- before Jesus got a hold of me, I had what I call a love-hate relationship with America. I- I've been enough places in the world that I realize I don't want to live anywhere else. I want to live right here. But I know enough about my history to say I hate that that happened. I hate that that happened. And so you have this love-hate relationship. And only Jesus can make it right. Only Jesus. So the, I used to dream, my wife would tell you, I used to dream that I had a castle and my family was on the inside and I was walking the, the, the perimeter of the castle like Rambo. I had machine guns and bullets and uh, Doberman pincers and I dared anybody to try to come into my castle. I'll shoot you down. And, and I don't even own a gun. But anyhow, in my dream I had one. Because my wife won't let me own a gun. I can't own a gun, and I can't have a motorcycle, so y'all pray for me. My wife won't. She won't let me have a motorcycle. And uh, so I got off on that trip. But anyhow, um, so then I'm angry inside because I feel so vulnerable. Do you realize that if somebody makes up their mind to take your life, there's not much you can do about it? And that sense of vulnerability when I was a sinner bothered me that someone could dislike me and take me out. That bugged me. I mean, I just, that just made me evil. And I cannot begin to tell you some of the things that I did because I was evil. And, you know, when you're short, too, everybody thinks they can whoop you. So it's like, come get some of this, okay? So, so you know, I'm evil. But when you give your life to Christ, the, the hatred... And evil drains out of you and the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. And all of a sudden you begin to see people and redemption in all those areas of your life. I've had people say to me, aren't you, are, are you really comfortable at Providence? I mean, you're like one of the only ones there. And I could almost say back then, only what? I'm one of the only humans there? 
After all, we are 99% the same. Yeah, come on here. So, so a love-hate relationship. So, so we, we've got a troubled world. I want to be like a salesman today. When they come to your house, you know, let's say they want to tell you your air is not clean. So they draw things out of there and they show you, look how much these dust mites and everything in your air. You're dying here. And you're sitting there going, oh, and they go, but I've got the solution for you. If you just buy one, he says, I want that. I want two or three of them. I'm not even allowed to buy anything on the QVC. Is that what it's called? The late thing? My wife said, nothing better show up again on the credit card from that company. All right. So anyhow, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm a salesman sucker. If you put enough pressure in me, I'll buy it. So um, the guy, when we look at this world, it looks so bad. It's so bad off. That the only answer is that we have the good news. When the, as, the, as the world gets darker, the rise and shine for the light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen on you, the church. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And while folks is hating on each other, we can love on each other. We can overcome evil with good. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It's not a human love. This is a love of God. This is the love Peter, God put in Peter's heart for Cornelius and Cornelius for him. God is supernatural, and he can do that for every one of us in this room so we can reach out to people who hate us. I'll tell you a quick story because this is 1122 service. Anyhow, I was teaching at a Bible college, Joby, and again, I was the only black instructor in the school, and I was the only black person on the whole campus, and this one guy... Like, like you, he was born in South Carolina or some of those places. And I mean, this is a, his name was Terry Spencer, Ellen. This, this was one rugged, I mean, he looked like he could pull fire hydrants and tree trunks out of the ground. And he was pastoring this church way out in the hills of Pennsylvania. I mean, way out in the hills. So he said, Dr. Dayton, I've told my congregation about your teaching and preaching, and, and I want you to come and preach for me. I said, okay, I'll do that. So, so one Sunday I left off the seminary, come down off the hill, and went, drove way out, way out, way out. See, one thing you got to know about a brother, you've you got to stay on the main highways. <laughs> Make sure there's plenty of gas in your tank, all right? So I'm going way out and way out, and I finally get into this little place. And so these were all farmers, and, you know, I used to wrestle in high school and college. And one thing is, is a wrestler's nightmare is a farm boy. Farm boys are country strong. And when the coaches say, we're wrestling Cuba, New York, I go, they're farmers, aren't they? This is not going to go well. I mean, they grab you, and they're just like, they got you. They reach out, mm. So anyhow, I get to this church, and I walk in, and so people are like, they're looking at me. I go, okay, Terry loves me. <laughs> Terry Spencer, the student, loves me. But these folks are wondering, who is this? So then I get up in the pulpit like this, and I look in the back, and there's a guy. This is no, this is not exaggerated felicitation. This man was at least six foot five. He had a flannel, like a shirt on, and jeans, and combat boots and he sat back there and while I was preaching I glanced at him and I, he was glaring at me and he was huge and so the whole time I preached I tried not to look at him because I was way out way out and it was nighttime now okay and I've seen roots okay so I'm way out there and uh so when I got through with my message I, I was getting ready to make an altar call and in my mind I said Lord I'm gonna make this altar call. I'm getting up out of here they don't even have to give me an offering. I'm out. I'm, I'm heading back to civilization. 
Well, while I'm making the altar call, he stood up. So then I started speaking in tongues. Then he comes down the aisle. Now my legs are shaking. So then he comes and stands in front of me. He says, come here. So I go, okay. The man is 6'5". He's just a monster. I'm standing on the platform looking him in the eye. And I'm thinking, Terry, Terry, I'm in trouble here. I mean, is anybody going to help me? This monster of a man, he's glared at me the whole time. I could tell he was not happy with what I was talking about. And now he's standing in front of me. And he said, um, he stood, so, so he says, I got to say something to you. So I gave him the mic. Might argue, right? So he says, he walked in here tonight, and I thought, I'll kill him. I will kill him. I'll rip his arms off and shove them up down his throat. I thought, where's this going? <laughs> he said, then you started preaching. Then I hated you even more because you were preaching. He says, but you know what I'm going to do right now? I didn't answer him. <laughs> he dropped to his knees. He dropped to his knees and said, would you pray that Jesus Christ would become Lord of my life? I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> save this man. <laughs> Please save him. Oh, Jesus. I want to go home tonight. Now, I was praying all the right prayers out of my mouth. But my, I want to go home tonight. I want to get out of this car. So you got to save him. Holy Ghost, touch him right now. Get some other folks around here. Pray for him. And then I'll slip out. Pray, touch this man. What am I doing out here? So anyhow, I saw the power of God that night. That's what I'm trying to say. I saw the power of God Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> that would have been the end of my life. It was no contest. So we got problems. I admit that we got problems. But we have a solution. There is a bomb in Gilead that makes the wounded whole. That's Jeremiah. He said, is, is there not a bomb in Gilead that will make the wounded whole? We have the answer. We are anointed to preach the gospel. So third point, uh, redemption. So the question, the, the, the redemption, the third act of this drama is, how do we fix it then? Okay, we, we've height, heightened the problem. Everybody's ready to buy. Everybody's ready to buy. And uh, so how do, we, how do we solve the problem? Redemption. This is how we fix it. We fix it because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. That in Christ we get a new nature. Behold, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. All things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And so the, the way we fix it is by the preaching of the gospel. God gave the church a great commission. Don't sit in your house, as Francis Schaeffer said, and just be given to personal peace and affluence, but go into all the world amongst all ethnicities and preach the gospel and teach them to obey the gospel, and whatever else I've told you. So we have this gospel. In Ephesians, the apostle Paul said, God has torn down the middle wall of partition and the enemy that was between us and made us both one. That that's the work of Christ, that Jesus is our peace. On Calvary, he destroyed the hatred. He destroyed racism, and he established peace amongst his creation. And those that come to know him will have that kind of attitude and disposition towards the true and living God. The barriers are brought down. Paul said in Romans chapter 9, listen, I would, I would give my life 
to save my own, the Jews. But he was also an apostle to the Gentiles. This man had to, had to leave the Jews and minister to the Gentiles. So now the Jewish community, their main man, uh, is, is preaching to the lost. They don't understand that. And then the Gentiles, he's amongst them. And they don't know why you think you can lead us, save us. And so he's living in two worlds there, trying to minister. But he said, listen, I become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. And I believe that we've got to be that kind of church. We've got to be that kind of church in these last days that we're like Paul. I will become all things to all people. I will become whatever you are I want to become. I want to know your culture. I want to reach out to you. I want to love you right where you are. You don't have to be like me, but my Savior, you need to know him. And the wall that's between us, God is able to bring it down. God is able. Sunday morning doesn't have to be the most segregated hour in America. If we just let God have his way. Come on, somebody shout glory here this morning. Sunday morning doesn't have to be the most segregated in America if we let God have his way. So the fourth act of this whole drama is called the consummation. And Jesus said in John 14, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Listen, God has prepared a place for you and me. Heaven is our home. After a while, we're going to see the God of glory. And this world will no longer be this way because God, John said, I saw, I saw a new heaven and a new earth where dwelleth righteousness and there was no more iniquity and no more sin listen for you and I we have an eschatological hope that one day this world will not be the way it is right now that people will get along with each other or as my mama said it'll be a place where the wicked cease from troubling and the weary be at rest that God is going to make all things new and he's going to reign and so in Revelations chapter 7 John said I was caught up in in a vision and I saw I looked and saw a great multitude who had no No one could count from every nation, every tribe, tongue, standing before the throne of God and the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hand. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, and who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And so the end of this story is that God is one day going to bring us all together. We're going to be together in heaven. No matter what ethnicity you come from, if you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to sit next to me, and I'm going to have to sit next to you and give God glory. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Shout hallelujah. God. So Peter came and preached this message about the risen Christ, and Paul wraps it up. And I love his message. He said, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. And you need to know this morning that our gospel is the power of God. It's the dunamis of God. It's the power of God. It's like a bomb. When you pull a pin on a bomb and drop it, listen, you don't have to help that bomb. It doesn't matter what rank of soldier you were. The power is in the bomb. All you have to do is pull that pin and drop that bomb, and then the bomb will do the rest. You can back up and say sick them bomb because the bomb you don't have to dance around it you don't have to speak in tongues around that bomb just proclaim that gospel and watch God do his work that's why Paul said I don't care where I go bring me before Caesar bring me before anyone you want because I want the opportunity to pull that pin and drop that bomb why because when you pull the pin and drop the bomb blind eyes have got to open when you pull the pin and drop the bomb Deaf ears, come on, stop. 
When you pull the pin and drop the bomb, the dumb will begin to talk. When you pull the pin and drop the bomb, you need to know that the lame will begin to walk. When you pull the pin and drop the bomb, God binds up every broken heart. When you pull the pin and drop the bomb, all racism drains out of the hearts of men. When you pull the pin and drop the bomb, God brings his people together. Y'all ain't helping me up in here. Somebody shout yes. Shout yes. Just pull the pin and drop the bomb. You don't have to know that for that. Just pull the pin and drop the bomb. And the bomb is Jesus. Jesus is the bomb of God. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? He said, uh, Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. We need to see our God high and lifted up and his train filling the temple and the angels crying holy. And when you catch this vision of God, then you will recognize that here on planet earth, we can do an awesome thing for the Lord. He is the Christ. Who is he? He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the comfort of all nations. He's the rock of ages. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's on my side. Somebody shout yes. Hallelujah. He's all right with me. He's got our answer today. He's the one. He's the one. And so one day, I can't wait because all of us in this room who know the Lord, we will stand around the throne of God and we will behold our God. And as we behold our God, we'll see the tribes, every nation, every kindred, every tongue. And I'll be able to look in the eyes whose ones as the flaming fire, whose feet are as the fine polished brass, and whose voice is as the sound of many waters. And I'll be able to see him look at them and the pleasure that comes to God that his sons and daughters have come home to him and to know that he used you and to know that he used me and that it pleases our Lord that every ethnicity would come to him and bring him glory. This is our calling. This is our high place. Somebody say yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give God a praise. Give God a clap offering. Shout unto God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He can do it. He's going to do it. He's going to use you and me to do it. So I close today. I close today saying, Peter and Cornelius, call no man common or unclean. There may be some of you this morning, you're a Peter. God is dealing with you because he's trying to send you to somebody that doesn't look like you. Then there are some of you, God has put your blessing in somebody's hand that doesn't look like you. Can you receive that blessing because they don't look like you? Can you go and speak a blessing because they don't look like you. That's what he does in this pericope. That's what he does in this text. Sovereign move of spirit. So if we're going to learn from the book of Acts, we got we to go through this journey. And we got to let the gospel arrest us and transform us. That 1122 would be a catalyst in this city. Amen. Somebody's got to have the nerve, the backbone, Boots on the ground. Man up. But have the right message. We can do this thing, my brother, from another mother.
Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I close. There may be some of you here today. You may not even know Christ yet. Today you heard the gospel through a black man. Uh Uh-huh. You heard it. And you can receive Christ this day. Or there may be many of you that you want to hear the call of God. Lord, here am I. Send me. Some of you have to be willing to admit, I I need a deeper work of grace. I need a deeper work of grace. Because I want to be a part of the solution and not the problem. So as we sing this song in closing, I'm going to invite you to this altar. If you come forward, I'll pray for you. Others will be praying for you. We'll make our way around. But I'd love to lay hands on you and believe God for an impartation. I didn't tell you all the hard things my wife and I have had to go through to get to where we are today. But I only want to testify that in spite of all that, God is so good. God is so good. What the devil means for evil, God means for good. So as we sing, come. And if there's any of you in here that are over six foot five and you don't like me, go down there, okay? Go down there. Pastor Joby will pray with you. Let, as we sing, though, please come. Let, let, let the Lord bless you today. Thank you.